Hey, we've been working through the book of Acts. Uh, This is a living, breathing narrative of the Holy Spirit at work in lives submitted to Jesus. Amen. That's the book. We've been working on this book. Why? Because we feel that we're coming into a season where what's in that book is starting to appear in the land. Okay, are there any, in the Old Testament, um, sorry, in the book of Acts, there were laws against Christians and Christian activity. Is there any of that happening today? In the book of Acts, we we had uh, people uh, persecuting Christians at a very high level. Have we seen any of that today? We had, uh, there's so much in the book of Acts that's echoing today. It's like the world has done this big full circle and it's coming back to crazy time, book of Acts again. But there was something else to happen in the book of Acts. Incredible outpouring of God. You know, there's a, something I want to speak on today, and I'm going to, this is it here, I'm going to read it out. It says this, it says, while serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to remember, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul and Paul for the work that I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them in approval and in dedication and sent them away on their first journey. This is the first missional journey. So then being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and there they sailed to Cyprus. When Barnabas and Saul arrived at Salamis, they began to preach the word of God, proclaiming the message of eternal salvation through faith in Christ alone. In the synagogues of the Jews, they also had John Mark with them as their assistant. They traveled through the entire island of Cyprus as far as Paphos. Here's something interesting, this last line. Now Paul and his companions sailed from there to go to Perga and Pamphylia, but John Mark took off. He ran away. He left and went back to Jerusalem. From here they... Paul and Barnabas had a bit of a, a bit of a yarn about this and want to re- get John Mark to rejoin them again, or Barnabas did, but Paul, he was like, no way. He's already quit on us once, we're not, or, or left once. We're not having him back again. And they, it says that there was a sharp disagreement. Anyone been involved in a sharp disagreement in your life? No? Just me? Okay, yep, cool. Yeah, sharp disagreement. That means the knives are out. That means it's cutting heart to heart. That means that two people can't walk together right now. They went their separate ways. What went on that was so utterly debilitating for Paul that he would not have someone back in his ministry again? What on earth happened? Some say that John Mark disagreed with something that Paul had done. Some say that the, 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 the ministry in Cyprus wasn't that successful and, and things happened and it may have frightened John Mark. Others say that um, Maybe he saw something that shocked him. My concern is not why he left. My concern is one thing. The Holy Spirit did not say so. They entered their walk, the Holy Spirit said. John Mark exits his walk at that moment, but there's no Holy Spirit said over that. You know, there is something going on in John Mark's heart. Something happening. Have you ever heard that saying, follow your heart? Have you ever heard that? Oh, you just need to follow your heart. You need to follow your heart. 
You need to follow your heart. Well, there's a problem with that theory. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all other things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring all the issues of life. So tell me again, you want to follow a deceitful and issue-filled heart? Is that how you're going to live your life? Just follow your heart, Lynn. Just follow your heart, Sally. Well, my Bible says to follow Jesus. Sure, your heart can be a little bit of a guide at times. We need to check in with it occasionally. But I want to tell you, from the heart comes grief, comes hurt, feelings of emotional overload, erratic behavior, and you want to follow that? So what is going on in John's heart? Today I've got a message, heart attack, it's called. Anyone feel there, anyone ever had an attack on their heart over the years? Let's pray, shall we? Father God, I just thank you for humbling of hearts in this room. I thank you for the anointing to bring fire and new and fresh passion into their life in the way you have called them. Not the way the church needs it looking, but the way you have called them to walk. I thank you, Father, that things stop at the heart. Today, you want to unstop the heart, and you want to bring a new level of breakthrough. I can't do it, but you can, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Everyone said, amen, 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 man, okay, get your notebook shoes on, let's have a look at something here this morning, I want to look at the scripture, it says this, it is this parable of the seed and the sower, sometimes called the parable of the four soils, it says here, this is Jesus speaking this parable, and he told them many things in parables, and this one is critical, he said, a farmer went out to sow what? Seed, did you know that everything that God gives you in life comes to you in seed form? You know, you might get a prophecy, you might go to an event, you go to that event, has changed me. Man, I was on the floor, I was crying, there was just, just, I was just messed up. But then you get up, you go home, and it's still the same argument with what's going on in the house. It's still the same battle with the children, it's still the same challenge in the workplace. But you said, Lord, on this floor I felt change, but over here it's like nothing has changed. It's because it's entered you in seed form. But what you do with it depends on whether it becomes a blossoming fruit tree. Amen? It says, The farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds of the air came and ate it up. Some fell on, everyone say, rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil, uh, it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered. Because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and still others fell on good soil. Everyone say good soil. Where it produced a crop 160, 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Has anyone got ears this morning? The first thing I sort of look at in the scripture is this Why on earth does the sower sow seed in such utterly stupid places? I mean, come on. I mean, if you're going to throw seed on a rock, what do you expect's going to happen? You know? Um, I, I mean, I mean, I, I actually, when I read the scripture, I, I went to the Yates Gardening Guide. 
I thought that Jesus has clearly made a mistake because in my Yates Gardening Guide, it says if you're going to plant a seed, you get a pencil for starters. You get a pencil and you take some nice soil and you poke the pencil in like that and then you drop the seed and you cover it over and you put a bit of water on. Um, that scripture makes no mention of a pencil. Which is deeply concerning. You know why the sower sows so indiscriminately? Because this is a picture of Jesus saying, this is how the message of Christ, the message and the gifts, this is how it's spread. The gifts come into your life like the spreading of seed. This is how they used to spread seed in the Old Testament. They just used to, they just used to throw it across the ground. And then the, the, the men with the carts and things with the, the ox on the front would sort of follow wherever the seed was. They'd go and they'd get the seed and they'd hoe it in the ground, which is a beautiful picture of the seed of God coming into your life and the angelic help seeing what God is doing and empowering you to bring these things to bear. But you see, we tend to just narrow cast. We don't think about sowing our seed out there. We don't think about shining our light so much. We tend to narrow cast. Is that person ready? Oh, I don't know if I'll invite that one for tea or share the gospel with that person. But Jesus is saying, spread vigorously, spread abundantly, spread without discrimination. He's saying, some will receive the word, some will not. But in very simple terms, Jesus is saying, do not give up. Because as we see, Soon, the way the seed enters the soil and the way it bears fruit is not really up to you and me. I want to tell you something. One of the keys to this parable is we often look at it as new believers coming in. We think, oh, it's all about them. And I want to tell you, the scripture points very, very much to this speaking to believers who've actually received Christ and why they do not remain. It may be something that's going on in your life right now. It was clearly going on in John Mark's life. There was something happening. Something happening. So as I just get into this quickly, it is the parable of the sower. First we know the sower is Jesus. Everyone say Jesus, just so you're clear. The kingdom of God is the word of God. Everyone say the word. And that's the seed and the soil is the heart. Anyone got a heart in this room? Come on. Jesus said this. He said, listen to what the parable of the sower means. And when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the birds of the air come and snatch away what was sown in their heart. That is the seed sown along the path. This is the first soil that's mentioned. It's a place, just picture it if you would. It's a place where hooves have trodden. It's a place where carts have rolled over. It's a place where millions of people have just trodden their feet and walked that ground so hard it has just become a solid mass. This is a picture of a hardened heart. You can just imagine me just picking up some seed and throwing it, and it just bounces straight off. This is a picture of a heart that has been traumatized, been hardened by sin of what others have done to us, that trauma, something that happened 30 years ago that we've just never really gotten over, or what we've done to ourselves, or maybe what we feel God should have done for us, but he just hasn't. He's done it for them, but he hasn't done it for me. Now, the road to this heart is often the same for everyone. It starts out with disappointment, which is where it starts to become a deep hurt 
disappointment. Then it goes from disappointment and it drops down to doubt. Doubt. Really just doubting if God is even listening. Really doubting if he's even caring. Or, and then it goes from doubt, it goes into unbelief. We can often recognize this in other people's lives. There's been abuse, neglect, and pain. And this can cause our hearts to harden towards God. Just to survive. I meet Christians like this all the time. Been in church a long time. Their hearts become hardened to certain areas of church life. God's word needs some place to take hold, but these hearts are hard. The seed is vulnerable. And the Bible says that the birds of the air come, which, which actually is symbolic of the demonic realm, come and snatch it away. The enemy capitalizes on your hurts. Sometimes it's not about what happens to you. Sometimes it's, not, it's what you've done to yourself. Sometimes, you, you know my testimony. I've shared it before. You go back 30-odd years ago, maybe 35 years ago, I was, a, I was a drug addict. I was a drug dealer. You wanted drugs? I was the guy you came to. You wanted some, uh, you wanted some burglary done? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that for you. That was my backstory. Even today, even today, 35 years later, I will sometimes meet someone I used to run with 35 years ago. And I'll just think, oh my goodness, am I going to have to apologize for 35, something I did 35 years ago to this person? I can't remember. I was too stoned to know. What are you doing pastoring a church? We need someone pure. Good luck. But my Bible says we all have sinned. So <laughs> all have sinned. But I was redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we can set patterns and routines in our spiritual life that become so utterly predictable, it's almost like a type of witchcraft. Instead of knocking on wood, we, we, we just spend our time painting the blood of Jesus over every doorway before we pray. Sometimes we just, we just have to follow a certain routine before we enter what Jesus wants us to do. The Pharisees did this. But it turned out that their hearts were far from him. They worshipped me with their lips. They had their procedures. They knew their Bibles inside and out. They quoted it day and night. But their hearts were far from him. Hardened. So the first type of heart that can be robbed is the hard heart. So how, how, how do we protect ourselves from this heart? Some sort of spiritual tenderizer, you know, we got to keep his heart soft. Well, you know, as the message is being preached, we, we recognize as we preach there's just something there and we bring it to the Lord. We repent in that moment and allow the Lord to come. We confess. We share. That's why we have part of the reason why we have prayer after church. We, we have connect groups so we can get deep with people to heal our hearts. Not just sit in a group and confess what we think the Holy Spirit's been saying that week, like we're holding up the gloriousness of who we are. No, we, we, we sometimes need to humble ourselves. and We just need to listen to what God is saying. The second thing is the seed falling on rocky ground. This refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Oh man, awesome. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, they fall away. Quickly, they quickly fall away. You know, I, I don't know, but I just wonder if this might have had something to do with John Mark's heart. 
You know, those that have no root are those that have their faith based on external stimulus, not inner conviction. Sometimes people can attach themselves to a leader. I can remember this many years ago. I'm not going to say the name, but we had a leader at our church many years ago. I've been in this church for 20, nearly 25 years. And um, we had a leader many years, a very charismatic leader, and um, unfortunately, it didn't go well. But I could not believe how many people, when that person fell over, how many other strong believers fell over with them. It made me wonder, was there faith in Jesus Christ, or was it in the man or woman of God? You know what I'm saying? You can see it straight away. Because that one falls. It doesn't mean you won't grieve what happened. It doesn't mean you won't be sad but your faith in Christ should sustain you. When the going gets tough, they fall away. Why? Because superficial Christianity has Jesus as some sort of add-on to your life. Super Christian, you know, um, I was trying to think of something funny to break the tension, but I don't have any jokes, sorry. Um, <laughs> I should have written something down here, you know. Um, you know, we might have the concepts and the theories, but they haven't really changed us. There's no real fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord hasn't established. There's no reverent awe of who he is. I have a theological view of Christ. I have a very robust view of Christ, but there's no fear of the Lord. So humility is something that walks a completely different pathway to where I might be walking. And we know, because I taught on this a few weeks back, that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of life to turn one from the snare or the traps of death. It's the fear of the Lord. It says the secret of the Lord is with those who, who what? Fear him, not terrified of him. The world is terrified. They hear the gospel, but we've received Christ. We're not terrified of him. We are in reverent awe of him. Need to listen to those messages. The Bible says when the testing time comes, the scorching rays of the sun, they will come. They will have no root. They, they, essentially that type of faith and I've been through this. I'm preaching from my own life here. It's called conditional faith. Have you ever had that in your life? Well, I'll believe you, but. Believe you, but just means you haven't been saved yet. Because when you believe, you just say, I believe you no matter what. Now, that's a big statement. There's, there's this lady here called Anne Morrow. I don't know if any of you know Anne Morrow. Amazing Amazing lady. Anne Morrow was one of the original founders of the New Life Movement, along with her husband, Peter Morrow, and Rob Wheeler. They, um, it's an amazing story. She's an incredible communicator. At her age, I think she's like 80-something, and she preached at the New Life Conference about 18 months ago. Absolutely just, just uh, the presence in the room was incredible. It was just, she just spoke so eloquently. But she shared the story. It's a pretty hard story, but I'm going to share it anyway, very quickly about how her husband was attacked with a machete. And um, she was in Australia speaking at a church, and she got a phone call. She was just about to hop on the plane, and she goes, they rang up, they says, um, and I just want to let you know that uh, there's been an attack in your household. One of the congregation, how's that, how's that for crazy? One of the congregation smashed down the door, ran in and attacked your husband with a machete, and your son's been injured as well, and, and he's in hospital in critical condition, doesn't know if he's going to live. You know, she, she, she shared this story. My goodness, do you want to listen to this story preached from her words? My goodness, do you want to? My, does it open your heart up? But she shared the story. She said she just, she was in the airport, and she said she just, she just knelt down 
And she did not know if she was going to go home to her husband and her child dead or not. She had no clue. But she said this. She said this. She got down. She was in the airport and she just sort of kneels down and she just said, no matter what, Jesus, whatever happens, I will worship you. That was her words. No matter what, I will worship you. I don't know, but if I heard that about my wife and kid, I think I'd be, I'd be bringing up the police. I think I might throw my phone across the other side of the room. I might scream at God and go, are you even, are you even interested? In, do you know what I'm saying? But here's this woman. She just said she in the airport. She knelt down and she just said, no matter what I come home to, in four hours on that plane, she just said, I will worship you. Real story. You know, sometimes in our lives, it's not that stuff. That's pretty serious. Many of us will never have to experience that. Oh, he lived. Yeah. Sorry, I should have shared the end of the story. Yes, he lived. <laughs> he lived. The son lived. You know, that was cool. Cool. It was a, uh, I'll have to get better at my storytelling, won't I? Wow. Thanks, Dave. You saved us. The whole rest of the message, everyone's going, oh my goodness, what happened? I didn't hear anything after that. I was totally lost. Hey, you know, sometimes it's not that stuff. Sometimes it's not the big stuff like that. M many of us in our life will never experience something like that. But sometimes there's other things that happen separate from the attack of the enemy. Sometimes we have to experience the testing of God. Testing of God. I thought I had, oh, there it is there. Psalm 105.19 says, well, actually, I think I've jumped too far forward. I haven't got the slide in there. It's my mistake. Psalm 105.19 says, until the time that his word, God's word, came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Say, tested him. Until that his word, the word of the Lord, came to pass, until that time, it says, the word of the Lord tested him. You know, you all have a call on your life, a purpose. And at times you might say to God, I feel God has called me to and you make the decree. I feel that God has called me to, um, to preach. I, I feel God has called me to prophesy over the nation. I feel God has called me to start a business. I feel God has called me to feed the hungry or, or be a missionary. In that statement, in that decree, you, 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 what happens, you, the Lord is going to come and refine you to be the manager, to be the worship leader. He's going to refine you to, 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 to be able to, to, to take the lost children. He's going to refine you to have the business. Whatever your spirit-led decree was, the Lord will refine you in your work. But that's great. But the way it feels is Psalm 105.19, until the word comes to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. I mean, it's not always uh, like, oh my goodness, that's, no, no, no. David was anointed king around 15 years before he wore the crown. There was an unusual king there, Saul, but here's David walking and there's this testing time happen. He still had a great time, by the way. But there is stuff that God is going to do in our lives. You know, it's... It's like God gives the seed into your life. 
and then a difficulty arises in your life because of the word. It's like the word attracts them. It's these difficulties. It sounds cruel, but all as I did was listen to God. Now I've got these troubles. What's going on? You know what he's doing. You know what he's saying. He's saying, I'm proving my authenticity in you. I'm growing to expand your heart. A word that nothing else will stand. Before I'm handing this to you, I've often said around elders in this house, I've said, I'm not interested in picking the person who's been here the longest to be an elder. I want to know that they've been tested before they step on that page. I want to know they've been through the tough times and their character was still intact. I want to know they've been through challenging times and they're willing to humble themselves. I want to know that they're able to do that because that is the nature of leadership. Jesus humbled himself and washed people's feet. That's God washing feet, the lowest and dirtiest of jobs. Do you know the purpose of a test? Sometimes you can be living the greatest of times. Right beside it, there can be some testing going on. But the purpose in the test is always the same. Yes, in the test, sometimes the teacher is silent. So you'll have plenty of God speaking to you on these matters. But when it comes to a testing place, you get all this communication from God. But on this, you're not necessarily hearing stuff. It's in those times you need to get around other people. You need to get to your connect groups because other people will hear for you, encourage you for you in these areas. That's what I find. If you try and do it all yourself, you'll end up becoming a silo over here. Oh, God tells me everything. No one needs to tell me anything because God tells me when to buy socks. He tells me what color the house is going to be. I found those people aren't hearing from the Holy Spirit. They just don't want anyone else to tell them what to do. You know the purpose of a test? The purpose of the test is to not live out of any challenges before us. That's the trick of the enemy, to get you focused on it. No, the test is always the same. How are you going to get the kingdom into the test you find yourself in? How are you going to bring the kingdom into this place? Or are we going to pick up our fists and our knuckles and our knees and we're going to fight like the world? Or are we going to understand these are principalities and powers and he's teaching us to be able to war at a beautiful new level in him? Increase your worship. Get into your fasting. Start to believe that God's breakthrough is right there and he is teaching you how to receive it. Amen? You know, the, vic the secret of your victory, we should get that one preaching. The secret of your victory is in what you already know. God only leads you in places that he has already prepared for your victory. I, I think someone needs to hear that this morning. The secret of your victory is in what you already know. God only leads you in places that he has already prepared for your victory. I sometimes, when I'm discipling people, I shared this, uh, this particular picture of maybe about a year ago. I'm going to share it again. When I'm discipling people or I'm having meetings and coffee and someone says, oh, pastor, I'm really struggling or something, this is the first thing I look at with them. I say, okay, there's two things I want to do, and the other thing I do is something different, but I do this. I sit down, and I, I put this picture in front of them, and I said, so if you want Jesus in the center of your life, not just some add-on tacked onto the side, center of your life, you need to have those above you, those below you, those beside you. Those above you are your leaders, your mentors, people that you allow to speak into your life. You're not battling them and fighting them every five minutes. The Bible makes it clear that we're not to do that. But uh, yeah, sure, we'll disagree at times. That's totally normal. But um, the Bible says that these people will actually create pull in your life. They pull you up. They pull you up. They help. They challenge you. They, they pull you up. Then, as equally, who are you discipling? 
who are you discipling? Now, understanding discipling could be children. Discipling might be in your workplace where you're, you, you know, that, that sense of God's are working through you in that area. How are you releasing the kingdom in that place and demonstrating your faith? But who are those under you? If you haven't got anyone under you, it doesn't always mean that you're running a church or running a home group or anything. No, ask God to put them under you because they create push in your life. They actually push you up. They cause you to live the very words that you're speaking. And as equally, who are your arm holders? Who are those beside you? Friends, believers, encouragers. Who are your Aaron's and your hers who are holding your arms up as you are holding up your staff over your calling? Now, if any one of those is out of place, if you don't have those above you that you see and respect, and, and you know, there's always going to be some challenge there too. That's just normal. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But the reality is, if you don't have that, you can't name that then you're going to have struggle, struggle being pulled up. You're always going to feel there's a glass ceiling there you can't get through. If you don't have someone under you, you're going to actually feel like I've got all the stuff to pour out, but nowhere to pour it. And as equally, if you do not have arm holders there, then your cross is going to topple over. And so when you have these things in place, and they are not a structured plan, there is, you have to let the Holy Spirit call as you pray for these things. I guarantee you that you'll start to see Christ at the center of your life again. When you're pouring out to someone. You know, I, I find as a worship team leader, you're actually discipling these people in worship. Did you know that? No words spoken apart from singing, but you're discipling the church in worship. So again, the second soil is the superficial heart. Superficial. It, it puts, it puts, it puts uh, restrictions around Jesus and says, I'll believe, but. How do we heal this heart? Maybe the music team could come. Well, we humble ourselves. We humble. We say, yeah, actually, that's been my heart, Lord. This has spoken to me today. Praise the Lord. I feel anger in my heart. It's speaking to you. I feel humility. It's speaking to you. Great. Well, then what we do, we repent. We, we, we just say, Lord, yep, I got to say, I, I need that. I, I need some heart surgery in that area because I, I felt that there was crossroads that was coming for people. You're literally on a crossroad. You're literally at the dot right now. But it's going to be the heart that makes that decision for you. I want to tell you, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's putting him in that place of prominence in our heart. Who is he calling you to walk with? Walk with. He's not calling you to stand alone, to be a silo. The other soil the, was the soil that fell among the thorns that grew up and choked the plants. You know, the seed, the thorns are the worries of this life. I don't know if any of you got any worries of late. I've got some of them. The thorns are the worries of this life. They are the things we lust after, not love after, lust after, and the deceitfulness of wealth. You know, my Bible doesn't say that money's an issue at all. Did you know that? Not at all. My Bible doesn't. I don't want one. You might be reading a Jehovah's Witness Bible or something. But my Bible doesn't say that money's an issue. It says that the love of money is the issue. That's the issue. It's not an issue having it. It's an issue when it has you. It's not an issue when you, you have possessions. It's an issue when they have you. I've often said that whatever you can't fast is a, has to be questioned in your life. If you can't fast that phone teenager, if you can't put it down, then it has to be questioned. Why not? Well, I don't want to put it down. 
why are you so angry? Because it's got control of you. You don't have control of it. Turn it off for a week. You'll probably be quite happy. There's actually a movement happening. On, I saw it on YouTube in the UK. There's a bunch of teenagers that are giving up um, their smartphones for dumb phones. They can receive texts and they can ring because they're sick and tired of being controlled by social media. Yeah, I'm dead serious. You know, sometimes we, we pursue wealth. I mean, I mean, Jesus didn't even want to touch the money bag. He gave it to Judas, and look what happened to him. Jesus says, don't, don't worry about your life or what you'll eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Oh, you're much more valuable than they to me. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I think it's been scientifically proven that worrying removes hours from your life. And I want to tell you that there's some big stuff in lives, and worry can be part of it. You know, you're dealing with a serious matter. You're dealing with a serious sickness. You're dealing with a, a serious matter around your finances, a serious matter. But this message is letting you know that with your heart right before him, it allows Jesus to do his full work through you into that situation. So we have three hearts here. The hard heart, the superficial heart, and the distracted heart. But there is one heart that we are all searching to grow in our lives. And it's called the good soil. This heart will receive a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. But whatever you do, don't set your eyes on someone else's crop and think, I want that. Because it may be the wrong crop. You know that old saying, the grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence? There's another saying, the grass is greener on the side that you water. So sometimes we have to recognize the difference between someone who's mentoring so that our crop can look like theirs versus my lusting after something that God never called me to have. God is opening up the heart this morning. This is not meant to be a hard message or a grumpy message. It's meant to be a humbling message. It's meant to open up our doors because as a church, I feel we're at a crossroads today. We are at a crossroads. So I feel God is wanting to bring increase in this house. Amen? The interesting thing about this is there's four hearts. Now, if you split that from 100% into four, 25% each, one, two, three, four, four 25s are 100. If you look at that, there's a 75% chance that you could be living in one of those other three hearts in some area of your life. Isn't that interesting? 75% chance. So it just lets us know that we need this message is critical. If we're going to be moving forward, we're going to be opening up doors, we want to be moving where Jesus wants us to go, we have a 75% chance that there's going to be a challenge to a heart state in our life that God wants to turn into good soil. Amen? A bit quiet here this morning. Maybe I should have told more jokes. Maybe we could stand this morning, turn the lights down. I want to let you know that this uh, message is an invitation. It's not a rebuke. Sometimes I can preach a bit loud. Sometimes I can be a bit passionate. But this isn't a rebuke. 
This is not God telling you off. It's actually an invitation to take what could be something that needs to shift right now to get to the good soil part. Amen? Yeah. Do you believe God is good enough to do what he said, which is this? I, Jesus, will complete the good work that I've begun in you, even unto the day of Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I just want to worship. In this time, I don't just want you to worship and just sort of, just sort of stand there and go, well, you know, that's cool. I want you to worship and let the Holy Spirit just speak to you and just ask him, say, of those four hearts, is there anything you just want me to repent of? I'm not going to do a big altar call. You might just want to stay where you are, and that's fine. But if anyone needs prayer today, please come up, and I will pray with you. For some of you, God will ask you to come up. He will ask you. I will not force it, but he will ask you because he needs you to take a faith step to go beyond your fear. He will ask you to take, I want you to step over the line because I want you to, as an act to break this thing. For others, it'll just be right where you stand. And for some of you, you might be looking at your watch going, yeah, right, when's, uh, when's lunch? <laughs> so we're just going to sing for maybe 30 seconds, a minute, maybe longer, and let the Holy Spirit touch your heart because change is coming.